Welcome to the spoiler cast for Rehydrate. Warning, this episode will contain spoilers for all of the three-body problem and the entire Remembrance of Earth's Past series. If you don't want to be spoiled on future events, please skip this episode. This is Season 1, Episode 7, Sunset for Humanity, covering Chapters 21 to 26 of The Three-Body Problem. My name is Amin, and I have only read up to Chapter 26 of The Three-Body Problem, and I'm here to have the rest of the series spoiled for me by Dan. Hi, I'm Dan. I've read the series multiple times now. Um, so I has a couple issues of follow-up um, that I want to talk about. So based off of some of the conversations we had in Episode 6 and Episode 7, um, one of the comments that was made was around uh, cultural exports of China specifically. Um, and so it kind of just triggered rem- you know, remembering um, something in the book about what happens. is actually like later on, like the Trisalarians and the, the humans and Earth kind of, they kind of coexist for a while. Um, at, they're kind of like at a standoff. So... If you remember right, like I talked about uh, Lo Ji, who has like a something called a deterrence. So he has like a system where he's going to broadcast the coordinates of Trisolaris um, if the Trisolarians do anything to um, to Earth. They, they kind of come to a standoff. And eventually, like after like hundreds of years of this standoff, they kind of more ingratiate the cultures to each other. And like one of the things that was kind of funny in the books is that like, the Trisolarians actually like really are into earth culture and earth media. So they actually start making movies and that kind of thing. And like, <laughs> uh, and they, they export them to earth. And so like Loji, he's like actually in hibernation for a while and he, he wakes up and, you know, he starts seeing like these movies and whatever. And, and, and then they, he eventually finds out like, Oh, those are actually Trisolarian movies. And like, they try to emulate the style of earth and that kind of thing. So it's, it's, it's a pretty funny little part, like how they, they do that. So this, when we were talking about cultural exports, I was like, Oh yeah, the Trisolarians actually exports our culture as well. <laughs> do the Trisolarians use the North Korean, the alleged North Korean approach of kidnapping South Korean filmmakers and having them make films and for them? <laughs> no. I don't think so. <laughs> oh, they so so they actually do it all themselves. Yeah, they, I think they just like that they're trying to they're trying to lull humanity into kind of a full sense of security at, for real. Like the, the humans don't know this at the time, but they're trying to like yeah, just like make it seem like that that we're all friends and like we're working together, but we're actually not. Actually, it might be in the third book. I remember thinking about it. It might yeah, it, it might be. I forget. Actually, if it's, I would I would watch that TV series of just. Here's a bunch of Trisolarian popular culture. Maybe they'll make an ARG about it. Um, you know, like, <laughs> they'll have like a like a movie that's done by the Trisolarians that's like trying to mimic, um, you know, human human. If I remember, like their their movies are like kind of more arty and like um, that kind of thing. Like, yeah, I have to remember exactly w- what they were, but uh, it just struck me. <laughs> yeah, maybe in the TV show they'll do like a like a spinoff series of like the the Trisolarian Arde movies that. <laughs> That we can see that that mimic uh, human, um, yeah, with art form or whatever. That would be great. <laughs> the the other uh, follow up that I, item I had was the, one of the things that you actually mentioned on the last episode, where we had talked about like the actual p- people receiving the message from from Earth, you know. Uh, and actually, that's one of the big chapters in the next section, um, where they actually like talk about the perspective of the listener who actually gets the message uh, from in Trisolaris, and they they just call him the listener. He actually gets in big trouble 
for sending the message saying like, do not answer, do not answer, do not answer. Cause he's actually a pacifist and the trisolarian culture, like they want to get off that planet. And now they found a way. And now like the, 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 the head of the trisolarians, they call them the, the precepts. Uh, he, uh, he, he gets really mad because the, this guy is told like this, this culture not to like, contact us again. So I think that chapter is actually really cool like you can kind of see the perspective and there's like more chapters also from the trisolarians uh coming up from from the from their perspective um and then and later in the the third book there's another another chapter where we see the perspective from a different alien race that we actually don't really know that much about but it's the one that actually sends the uh the the two-dimensional attack to um to earth and the the chapter is called singer because the guy is always like singing stuff uh and it, it's from his perspective so basically what happens is like he, his job is to like just listen for all these the is to monitor external communication you know around the around the universe uh, and then see if the coordinates that are that are sent are dangerous or not so he he see, he gets the message from earth and then he's like well that's interesting like this culture sent a message and then there's another message sent later back and forth so that it's weird and he, he has like a nickname for us called the star pluckers because like we plucked our star to send the message like he understands that we use the at the sun amplify the message uh, back out to the universe and that's how he i, I don't know if you remember but like the way trisolaris is eventually destroyed is they send like what's called a photoid um like this like small uh, particle or whatever uh into that one of the trisolarian suns and the tris and the the sun gets really big and kind of engulfs the whole planet and like the other systems and destroys it that way because of the way the solar system is set up and that he recognizes that that we could hide behind jupiter which is what we are we're doing in the and it's called the bunker era so when the humans know that the the they see like that's how trisolaris was destroyed the humans kind of prepare for that the singer recognizes that and then uses the two-vector attack instead of instead of the photoid to attack the universe. But uh, he does it in a very casual way. Be like, uh, normally I just like fling a photoid at this planet just to destroy it. But this case is a little more special. But this place is interesting uh, <laughs> because of like the 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 way that they're sending the messages. They call them like uh, short membrane messages. I think it has to do with the wavelength. Anyway, it, it's just like those are the two major perspectives from other worlds and they they and they talk in a little bit different ways they talk about like how time is a little bit different and that kind of thing so anyway your your comment before about talking uh, about like the the perspective of the person getting the message what that that's what kind of struck that that chord in my mind a little bit i don't think i was aware that there were chapters in this book from the perspective of the trisolarians but are they described physically at all are they are they humanoid are they something else or are they is that entirely left up to the reader's imagination. Yeah, they're not really physically described. Like, there's the like, guesses of what they look like, but I think the whole series, like, they're not really physically described. Um, so there's a couple times that the humans interact with the Trisolarians. Like, the first way is Sophons. So the Sophons come in, and then they, they're able to put messages in, in front of people's eyes. That's that's the first way that they come in. Um, and then there's, like, a, all the communication that happens uh, back and forth. So yeah, when she gets the message from the Trisolarians, like, about the, the first culture, um, and then, you know, there's a lot of information there, but then Evans, who shows up in the next, they talk, kind of talked, they talked about him a little bit, um, but he shows up, you know, more in force in the, the next couple of chapters. He builds, it's called the second Red Coast base, which is like this big ship that has a, a radar on it. He and the other people of the ETO 
re- regularly receive messages from trisolaires and they kind of talk back and forth either via Sofon or um, getting the data dumps from from uh, fr- from trisolaris. So we know uh, a lot about the trisolarian culture because they record all those messages and then the you know Wang Miao and and uh, Dasher and all those people eventually get that and that's what's coming up in the next messages. So because of that, we see the events that happen from the perspective of the Trisolarians, but it's more like a data dump of what's happening, but it's told in a narrative style, uh, if that makes sense. Yep, that makes sense. I commented on this in our regular podcast, but we're about, I don't know, about seven-tenths of the way through the book, and we have one more episode of this show. So I imagine there has to be a lot that happens in these last nine chapters that we're going to read. So is it going to be really dense, or is it kind of is, is it just padding from here on out? It's super dense. I, we mentioned before that it, Jim and I mentioned that the whole series, like the book, wraps up all the mysteries that are kind of um, brought up in the in this in the first book, and like it's really well self-contained and like it's really a satisfying ending. But because of the way we originally, I had the reading list kind of more like short amount of chapters because mostly because of the ending, and I think like the first half the first half of the book kind of suffers from that where like it's setting up those mysteries, things kind of happen kind of slowly, but then they really build towards the end and they throw a lot at you. So some of the things, you know, we reintroduce um, Evans or we introduce Evans, like they kind of talked about him, you know, in the other chapters of like, uh, that's the person that Pan, that Pan Ham was sent by to kill um, Shen Yufei. And he's sort of like the mystery figure, but they, you know, in the next couple of chapters, like Gia Wenji actually meets him and they they kind of talk and they they form their alliance. And then they talk about how he funds the, the ETO and he builds the second Red Coast, base, Red Coast base. So there's a lot that goes into him. There's a thing called Operation uh, Guzheng, which I'm not going to spoil for you, <laughs> which is weird on a spoiler cast. What? I, I feel I want my money back. <laughs> it's You should read it. Um, it's it's really surprising. Um, like You'll kind of know, I, I think, because I think one of the chapters ahead of time, they talk about all the different ways they can go after the second Red Coast base. And I think you'll find like the way they do it to be really cinematic and, and cool. It's 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 one of the big tentpole things of the of the first book. Um, I think to, to me, like the big temple things of the, the, there's four in the, in the book. The first one is the computer to me. Like the, that was like, that was the first thing I was like, whoa, that's awesome. Like when they built the human computer, uh, second one would be the, um, uh, the, the message that the, yeah, when she gets back, uh, you know, I said like, do not answer, do not answer, do not answer. And then she, she sent the message back. Third one is this operation. And the fourth one is when they introduced the Sofans, because uh, that chapter is also really cool. And like I said, it's, it's told from the perspective of the Trisolarans trying to develop the Sofan technology. But I will let you read the, the Operation Guzheng, because I think it's, it's really cool. <laughs> but yeah, we, so we have that. Uh, we have the Trisolaran listener chapter I talked about earlier. We have the Sofan introduction that's going to happen. And that, that one is the most dense and the most confusing. And if you can get it in the first reading, I'll be very impressed because <laughs> they talk about like, uh, they ha- you know, like I mentioned before, maybe you will because I talked about it a little bit, but like when you first read it, it's like, all right, you ha- so you have protons and they are in, they're folded into 11 dimensions and they expand into two dimensions and then they put a computer on them and they fold back into 11 dimensions and they travel at light speed and it's like, what? <laughs> and they have like experiments to do it and it doesn't work. So like they need the, um, they need the protons to unfold into two dimensions but they mess up sometimes and they 
they go into one dimension <laughs> by accident. And then like, yeah. they just see like all like these ropes coming down, like this like infinitely uh, thin uh, strings like fall out of the sky because the, the, it accidentally folded into one dimension. And then that, sometimes it folds into, accidentally folds into three dimensions and they eventually get it right. <laughs> and then there's also, they, and, and with the, the Sofan stuff, they reveal the mysteries around the countdown and the universe flickering. So the countdown, like I mentioned before, is the Sofans traveling at light speed. And then um, with the film, you know, with the film, like it goes back and forth on the film and, and imprints the the numbers on that film, and it does this, sort of the same thing in people's eyes. Um, so, kind of that's that's why they're able to both put countdowns on their eyes and like they talk to people. They send messages through that by like you know so fun going back and forth at light speed, and then it, it causes the universe to flicker by the the sofon unfolding into two two dimensions and kind of covering the whole Earth, and then doing the filtering of the of the stars, and it kind of fakes out everybody to think the universe is flickering. They also talk about. The true intention of the Sofans is to send to Earth and to disrupt all these scientific uh, experiments by screwing up the stuff in the collider. So that's why, like, uh, Yangdong and, and Dingyi, they see the uh, physics experiment act weird because the Sofans are at the molecular level, like, uh, disrupting some of the scientific experiments. And then people just, like, lose faith in their, their knowledge of science and they give up on any progress. And that's, like, a big, it's a big thing going forward. Uh, and they call it they call it the Sofan lock uh, all the way up until the Sofans go away um, after Trisolaris is destroyed. It's yeah, it's like a big impediment to to progress of humankind. And that that this is where they introduce a lot of stuff. Uh, and then finally, like the Sofans eventually talk to people who are outside the ETO and say, and that that's where the the title bugs come from is like they call the uh, all the humans bugs because like they're insignificant uh, in the scheme of things. So yeah, there's a lot, a lot that happens in the next couple of in the next couple of chapters. So, you know, the episode six was already pretty long and a lot of content, and so I think episode eight is going to be probably even longer. I don't envy you trying to write the episode eight recap with right. all of this stuff going on because it sounds like it's going to be complicated. But you've yeah. done a great job so far, so I'm sure you'll figure it out. Thanks. Yeah, I've been the. Uh, I mean, kind of formulating it in my head. I haven't written anything down yet, but yeah. So for the listeners, the the way that I kind of break that out is I I go and reread all the chapters again, and I break out a summary for each chapter, and then I condense that even further into a summary for the entire episode chapters. So you know, it goes from you know however however many paragraphs that I have written for each chapter, and then breaks it down into like I don't know, like four or five. Maybe maybe six paragraphs, depending on how much content there is. So yeah, it takes takes a lot of work to do it. It was easier to do in the earlier episodes when we didn't have that much to go over. Yeah. Um, but episode six, especially when we expanded the content even more, it became pretty tough. Um, so yeah, like I'm just like looking at all this content that I need to somehow summarize into a paragraph. Uh, I'm gonna do that. Well. I admire your work, and also for all the kids listening to this show, if you think writing book reports in school is completely useless, it will come in handy when you are also the host of a mildly popular podcast <laughs> 20 years later. Yep. <laughs> I actually was thinking uh, what I might do is uh, I'm going to maybe publish all those summaries up to up to the website at some point and then that people have them available because I, I have them all in a document so it may be interesting to people are there any other 
burning questions you have around, I mean, like now we're coming to the end and like, you know, a lot of the mysteries, like, is there anything that, that you really want answered and I can let you know if it gets answered or not? Um, no, I, I think, I think this has been sufficiently spoiled for me, but now I'm kind of excited to go into the end of it unspoiled, even though I don't care about spoilers that much. I'm um, <laughs> intrigued and excited to see how this all wraps up. So it's also, I have a terrible memory, so I'll forget half of this by the time I actually get to reading it. But no, no more questions. So how, how have you, I mean, I know I asked you last time, but like has the the last chapter um, that, that we read, like what did you think of those? I, I, I liked them. I, I thought, yeah, I, I, I thought the, the, the pacing of the story is much better. I think he's a much better science fiction writer than he is a uh, pseudo hard-boiled detective writer or whatever he was trying to do at the beginning yeah yeah but this this is all this is all much better and it actually I, I know you said that the second book is translated by someone different but it gives me hope that you know the more the more science fictiony the writing is the more interesting it is to me and maybe maybe it's just the plot is is picking up as well but it seems like I don't notice a lot of the things about the about the writing that bothered me early on do you, I mean, one of the things I like also is that like he talks really in depth about a lot of different disciplines, about like computer science, about astrophysics, about normal physics, like that kind of thing. Like, is that, that stuff is all interesting to you too? Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. I, I think the, the computer that was in the three body game that was made out of 30 million people, conceptually, I know how computers work, but yeah. seeing it that way and, you know, the way, the way he took time to build it up to help explain everything, I thought that was and again, I, I had some familiarity with it, but I think for people who have no familiarity, I think they would have no problem following that either. I think I think he does a you're right, he does a good job of of those different disciplines. Yeah. So when I was in school, I actually studied those, you know, like the different gates and stuff, and you know, that's th- th- it was really familiar to me. So like that stuff was really that that's why the computer is like one of the big tentpoles in my mind of of the series um because like oh that's you know but stuff is familiar to you though i think i resonate the most um so i and, and maybe like astrophysics stuff will like register to you know to physicists and that kind of like the stuff about the you know the stuff about the sun i should send the message to the sun like i think we none of us know if that's real like i saw some yeah paper, it's like <laughs> well, maybe <laughs> then, then my, it might work but we you know none of us really know if it's like real or not um but the computer stuff like that that's in my wheelhouse right like i know that stuff um yeah. so that's it, it's even cooler because it's real right yeah and and i think the other the other thing that would appeal to a different segment also a segment that i am not a part of is people who are uh really familiar with with chinese and western philosophies and how yeah. the philosophers are represented and, and what they stand for i i'm sure i'm sure i missed a lot of nuance and an inside baseball there. I'm sure he did the research, but I think that's another uh, audience that would probably get more out of this than than I did just because that's not my thing. I mean, I'm interested in it, but I'm yeah. not first in it. Yeah, I think the, I mentioned this in the in the normal shows that, you know, there's a couple Easter eggs that I caught, uh, but there's probably a lot more, you know, like where we had the, where they had what, Newton and, and Leibniz uh, fight at yeah. you know, dueling. And it's like, well, I didn't know who Leibniz was. <laughs> so I had to like look him up. So right. there's probably tons of that stuff. And maybe in the show, they can even show more. So I think yeah. that, that's a good opportunity for uh, for Easter eggs in the, in the show. And I think I've also mentioned that I'm a fairly passive reader. So I don't look anything up. If I don't know it, I just, 
I just move on and assume either it's not important or the author will explain it to me. So uh, I've appreciated our conversations because I've learned a lot of stuff I wouldn't have even thought about otherwise. So I'll say I'm also a passive reader. Like I didn't look anything up either. The first time I read it, I've only been looking it up for the show. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, you know, I think like even the first time I read it, like the 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 split between the Redemptionists and the Adventists, like that didn't register with me. I, like I barely remembered it. Um, because I guess it wasn't as interesting to me when I first read it, or it's just, maybe it was just too much at, all, at a time, right? Cause they, that chapter where they throw that stuff in there is like, comes all at once. It didn't even, I, I couldn't remember it before I like went back and reread it uh, and then really like thought about like the, the splits between that. So I think I'm also a passive reader and I definitely didn't catch any of the Easter eggs about the three body world or any of that kind of thing. Um, it was more about like the, the large big things that happened in the series and the, and the, and the ideas and the, and the kind of the, the storytelling, like how, you know, like I remember that she used the sun to do, to send amplification messages, but I don't remember how she did it. Like, I still really don't know, but like I have a better <laughs> idea now. Like, I, I think I'm also a more passive reader. And actually the first time I, I quote unquote read this series, the first book was actually an audio book. And then I went back and read the actual book a couple of times after that. Um, but I think they also, I also lose some stuff um, doing it that way. Cause I was like, you know, when you're listening to an audiobook, you kind of are doing other things, like I was driving or walking around or whatever. So I think I caught less um, by uh, reading the or listening to the audiobook than I have been by reading it. And I think that's also true for uh, the Game of Thrones series. So, you know, when you reach, when you watch the TV show, like stuff kind of happens and you, you know, there's too much stuff happening at one time. But when I read the books, like I understood who the characters were more because you're kind of reading their names over and over again, where like you see some guy on the screen, like, who the hell is that again? <laughs> you know, like where in the book, it's like obvious, like who's talking. So I don't think I ever asked you this, but what made you pick up the three-body problem audiobook the very first time? What what drew, what drew you to it? It was really just um, just luck, I guess. The um, Yeah, I was going for a long drive and I wanted, you know, I ran out of podcasts at the time. So I was like, well, I should listen to a book, I guess. And so I just like looked up some sci-fi books and, you know, I saw a lot of recommendations for, for this book. And it, you know, I think it was like, oh, Barack Obama recommended three-body problem. It's like, all right, well, <laughs> that sounds, sounds decent, you know, and then people like talk about it being hard sci-fi and that, that kind of caught my, my ear too. Like, oh, like hard sci-fi, like, um, you know, I've been reading Game of Thrones and that was like more fantasy based, but it's like, oh, a, a, a story that has lots of science in it. That's a modern interpretation. Like it's modern too, Right. Because a lot of the sci-fi people talk about it as like, you know, Asimov or whatever from like a long time ago. And that, yeah. I'm sure this stuff is great. And uh, I want to read it now. Uh, but I just didn't. I was never a big reader when I was in high school or, you know, in, early in my adulthood. But having something that was a modern take on sci-fi and it was like, quote unquote, already hard sci-fi, that's, that's what drew my attention to it. Yeah, it was, it was great. I, yeah. I, was, I was confused in the beginning. Like I was like, oh why is there talk about the cultural revolution and you know, why are we just stuck in the VR game all the time? <laughs> uh, why is it a detective story? But you know, a- after the story kind of picked up, I, I, was, I was definitely intrigued and, uh, and, and even more so when I got to the second book and especially the third book, the third book, I, uh, I, I reread it you know, recently again. I still love it. Every, th- that whole book is just great. Yeah. I, I generally, I think I talked about this in the very first episode, but I haven't read sci-fi seriously in, in 20 years. So I had heard about this book and every, I have coworkers who rave about it, but I'm glad we're doing this because I'm enjoying the book and I would have never read it without your recommendation. So, and I know, I know how Tim is reading it. It's because 
we told him to. So <laughs> we don't need to save this for the real podcast. Yeah, as soon as I read the, the whole series, I was I was the guy at work telling everyone they need to read. Everyone who was like even mildly interested in sci-fi, and was like, everyone's like, you need to read it, you need to read it, you need to read it. And like, I got one guy at work to read it. It was it was and like he was like reading it really slow, not really slowly, but like I couldn't remember when things happened in the in the book, so I didn't want to spoil stuff on him. I was like, oh, just just finish the three-hour problem. We can talk about the whole stuff that happened. <laughs> and it's like, all right, keep reading because I want to talk about I want to talk about that and uh, the the third book uh, and like. And they're long books, and they take a while. So I was like, oh, did you finish yet? Did you finish yet? And as soon as he did, it's like, oh, man, it was so awesome. <laughs> That's great. Thanks for listening. Leave comments by emailing us at rehydrate at fastmail.com or on Twitter at rehydratepod. Please join us next time for the season finale, Episode 8, Bugs, where we will be reading Chapters 27 to 35 of The Three-Body Problem. <laughs>